Good evening, everyone. I wanted to uh, take a moment and just wish everybody a Merry Christmas. I wish that I could be there with you all. I'm sure you've heard the news that uh, my wife and I, our family, has had a lot of sickness in our home this week with COVID and the flu. Uh, so we're not able to be with you all there uh, tonight, but we are watching online and we are definitely there with you in spirit. I wanted to take a moment and talk a little bit about that story that was just read to you a moment ago. You know, I've always been captivated by this, this little story in the birth narrative of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've heard all these stories so many times, year after year. You know, we've heard the story about the angel announcing the birth of Jesus to Mary. Uh, we've, we've always talked about the, the shepherds who, you know, were watching their flocks by night and the angels came and started singing joy to the Lord and announcing the birth of our Savior. We've heard the stories about the time of, of Jesus' birth, like last Sunday when we were talking about there being no room in the inn. But one story that we don't hear a lot about, not a whole lot about, is the time when these men, these wise men came from the east for the purpose of worshiping him, of bringing him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know, like a lot of stories over the years, sometimes the, the stories can become misconstrued a little bit. And in fact, there's, there's a few misconceptions about the wise men that a lot of people tend to believe that are, that are actually not true. For example, uh, a lot of people think that these wise men were kings. I'm sure you've probably heard the old Christmas song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. I, I love this song. It's a great uh, Christmas carol. Uh, but these men weren't kings. In fact, when you read the text, you find out that they are a very specific class of people, a specific tribe of people known as the Magi. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. Another misconception is that there are three of them. The Bible actually never tells us how many there are. In fact, when you read the text, most likely uh, these three men were part of an official delegation that had traveled in a very large caravan full of people all the way from the east to see the baby Jesus. So where do we get the idea that there were three of them? Well, we assume three because of the three gifts that they gave, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So who were the Magi? You know, and, and why did this large caravan of people come all the way from the east, from Persia, to worship a Jewish king? And, and more than that, how did these guys even know where to go? How to even go there in the first place? Let's take the first question, and then we'll take a moment, and we'll answer the second question here in just a second. Let's first talk about who were the Magi. The Magi, like we said a moment ago, they were actually a tribe of people. They were uh, a very ancient nomadic tribe. And in history and in antiquity, uh, these people were known as priests. They appeared during the time of the, the Babylonian captivity. And then later on, after the fall of the Babylonian Empire, they appear again in the Medo-Persian Empire. And we know from archaeology, we know from history, we know from just reading the Bible, that these people, this class of people, continued to exist pretty much in that same region all the way up until the time of the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, what about their religion? The religion of the Magi was actually really interesting. They had kind of a, kind of a hybrid religion because originally the, the, the religion of the Magi was kind of a mix between astronomy, which was science, and astrology, which was more like uh, mystical paganism. Later on, 
during the time of the Babylonian captivity, if you remember, uh, the Jews had been deported from uh, Israel all the way to Babylon. So during that time of the Babylonian captivity for about 70 years or so, the, the Jews uh, were influencing the people all around them. They were reading their Jewish scriptures. They were talking about their prophetic writings. And no doubt the Magi over time uh, became familiar with these things. They started learning about Jewish scriptures and about the, uh, the prophetic books. And then later on, after the fall of the Babylonian Empire, when the Persian Empire uh, had risen to power, there was a, a prophet that came along. Um, he was a pagan prophet, but he was a man by the name of Zoroaster. And he was a mystic prophet in Persia. And basically his form of religion, which was uh, very much based upon astronomy, uh, called Zoroastrianism, spread all throughout the land, and it became the official religion of Persia. Well, the Magi had, had been you know, in power for hundreds of years, and because they wanted to keep their uh, political power and influence, they adopted and mixed Zoroastrianism into their religion, and it, so it kind of became kind of a, an eclectic kind of religion. Now, how did they know where to come? How did they know to come to, to find Jesus? Well, one of the things that we have to remember is, uh, again, the Jews were taken into Babylon in captivity when? In 586 BC. Uh, they were there for 70 years before uh, Cyrus the Persian, which was the empire that came after Babylon, set them free and allowed them to go back home. So the Jews during that time had a lot of influence in the Babylonian and the Persian empires. A lot of Jews uh, intermarried with the Gentiles that were there. They taught the Gentiles about the Bible. They Again, they shared with them their prophecies. But most importantly, for those of you who have been in the book of Daniel class on Sunday morning, you guys know this already. Daniel was put in charge of the Magi. He was uh, put in charge of the wise men of the Babylonian Empire, Babylonian Empire. And then in the very next empire, in the Persian Empire, it says in the text that he was placed in charge of the Magi. So in other words, Daniel was the head, the leader of the Magi for decades. And again, for those, who, uh, those of you who've been in the book of Daniel class on Sunday mornings, as you study the book of Daniel, you see that Daniel was given many prophecies about the future of, of all the kingdoms of the world. But one prophecy in particular, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is given this incredible prophecy that not only foretells the first coming of Israel's Messiah, but also his murder and also the purpose of that murder, which is for the people. And then later on, the book of Daniel talks about the second coming of the Messiah. So put all that together. No doubt, think about this, Daniel had an incredible influence on the Magi and no doubt he had shared with them the prophecies that he'd been given about the Messiah and approximately about the time that he would be born. And apparently, and this is what I find fascinating about this story, is that the Magi held on to Daniel's teachings and prophecies and passed down those prophecies for the better part of 450 years. That's why they came, because these people knew the prophecies. Now, that answers how they got there you know, how they knew to come and, and that answers when they came and why they came when they did. But why did they come? You know, because that's the bigger question, right? Why did these, 
these magi, these foreigners, travel all this way, all the way from the east, come to Jerusalem to seek out Jesus, this one that was prophesied to be born a king. To me, this is probably the most important part of the story because if you remember, you know, Daniel, Daniel knew the writings of the other prophets. Uh, he knew the things that God had revealed to him about the Messiah. And so, you know, during that time when he was in charge of the Magi, you know, he taught them. You know, he taught this Magi about the truth of this coming king. You know, he said that this king, when he comes, that he's not going to be like all the other kings in the world. This is going to be the king of kings. This is going to be a great world king, you know, one who would eventually have a worldwide kingdom and that he was going to be a, a, a Jewish monarch that would eventually bring about um, a divinely inspired kingdom of righteousness and, and that, that, that he would be not only just a king, but that he would bring about righteousness in all the earth. Now think about that. Whatever Daniel did all those years ago as he faithfully served under, under a pagan king, Daniel made such an impact on these men that they were so sold out on the idea of a coming righteous ruler that they had faith in a sense. They had faith that this Jewish Messiah would eventually come just as the Messiah, or just as the prophecies had stated at just the right appointed time. And so for 450 years, they taught each other and passed down the prophecies that Daniel had taught them all those years ago. And they held on to this, held on to that hope about this righteous king who would come and finally make things right in the world. So in a sense, I don't know to what degree they had faith, but they knew about this coming king and they wanted to be in on whatever God was gonna do. Now, one thing I'll add, because I think it's something that a lot of people don't realize, is you know, you and I tend to have this idea that you know, there were three wise men, right? Just three lonely guys walking by themselves you know, all the way from the east to give these gifts to the Messiah. The truth is, this was a delegation from the east, from what was known at that time as the Parthian Empire. And, and this, this one fascinates me because the, 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 the old territories of the old Babylonian Empire and the old Persian Empire, by the time of the Roman Empire, which was the, the, the number one superpower at that time, the second superpower on the eastern front was the Parthians. And the Parthians were the sworn enemies of Israel. They had several battles over the years between east and west because of, the, because of their differences. But, but here's the point that I want to make. Imagine what this was like. This was an official delegation from the Parthian Empire, a whole caravan of officials, probably hundreds of people. These three guys were the main representatives, but these, there were hundreds of people in this caravan. It was an official delegation from a rival empire. Now think about it. That's, that's, that's the reason why Herod, when, when these guys finally come, he's scared to death. Now, you know, from history, uh, you know, I don't know if you know, but uh, he was already, you know, scared about losing his power. He was a foreign ruler that was placed in charge of uh, the rulership of, of Israel by Rome itself. So he was an outsider already. Uh, the emperor back in Rome was about to die. He was in his old age. Herod was in his old age. 
He was paranoid, thinking everybody was trying to get his throne, and that out of nowhere, this large delegation of Parthians come in, and they start talking about some obscure prophecies about a Messiah, the true king of Israel. It scared him to death. And that's why he called together the Jewish leaders. Jewish leaders. He inquired of them about their prophecies. They weren't his prophecies. They were Jewish prophecies to find out where this king was supposed to be born. And that's when he hatched his plan to try to kill Jesus right then and there. Thankfully, God thwarted that plan. Now, Matthew includes that story in his gospel because remember, what's Matthew's main concern? The reason why Matthew writes his gospel was basically to, to show the Jews, to show his fellow countrymen that Jesus was indeed the, the rightful prophesied king to come, right? That he was truly the Messiah. So it makes sense that, that he would include this story in his gospel because it shows that, that, that even foreigners understand the prophecies, that even the Gentiles have come all this way to worship, to, to do homage, to show homage to the newborn king of Israel. Now, excuse me, that leads me then to the, to the last thing that I want to mention when it comes to this amazing little Christmas story. And that's these gifts that the Magi bring to Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, why those three? Why specifically did they bring Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Sometimes I wonder if, if Daniel had taught them the prophecy from the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, verse 6, which foretold the day when Israel would one day be restored and that nations and kings would come. And, and here's what it says, and I quote, they will come and they will bring gold and frankincense. And they shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. That's Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6. Now, the first thing they bring is gold. That makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, whenever you would pay homage to a king, it was, it was very typical for uh, you to bring uh, the best gift you could possibly bring. And the most precious gift that you could bring in the first century to a king would be gold. And so their, their gift of gold shows that they considered Jesus to be royalty. They considered him to be a king, a real, true king. Uh, the second gift that they give Jesus was frankincense. Now, frankincense was, um, it was really expensive. It was an aromatic gum resin. And, and what they would do is they would take this stuff and they would turn it into to some of the most precious burning incense known to man at that time. And, and this, just, you know, this wasn't just any old incense. You couldn't just go down at the local market, buy this stuff for your house, you know, kind of like an air freshener. This stuff was precious. It was typically only used in a very specific way. And it was mainly only used at temples. In other words, they would burn frankincense typically at temples of worship, and it was usually burned to give honor to a deity. In fact, when you, when you go back and you look at the book of Exodus chapter 20, when you look at the incense that was burned on the inside of the holy place in God's holy temple. Guess what the main ingredient was in that incense in Exodus chapter 20? You guessed it, frankincense. It was considered pure and holy. And so not only did this gift of frankincense speak of, of Jesus's role as priest, but it also spoke of his deity, his godhood, his purity and his holiness. 
And then there was the last gift, myrrh. You know, myrrh was used for a lot of things in the ancient Near East. It was uh, used as an incense. It was used as a perfume, uh, anointing oil. Um, it was even used for medicine at times. But, but here's the interesting thing about myrrh. What's interesting is, is that myrrh was used as the key ingredient in a mixture of spices that was used to prepare bodies for burial. And then in the book of John, chapter 19, verses 39 through 40, after Jesus is crucified, when uh, the women are getting ready to uh, place spices around his body to prepare his body for burial, guess which ingredient is mentioned in John 19, 39 through 40, at the burial of Jesus. The most important ingredient of all, myrrh. So think about it. You've got three gifts, three very Precious, expensive gifts. You've got gold that speaks of Jesus as king. You've got frankincense that speaks of Jesus as deity, a priest, holy and pure. And you've got myrrh that speaks of Jesus as the God king who was destined to come and offer his priestly service to his people by coming and dying for him. To me, that is truly the most incredible testimony to the truth of who Jesus really was and who Jesus is for you and me today. So as I close, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen those little bumper stickers that appear on the back of cars sometimes around this time of year? Or you'll see them everywhere, like little memes that'll come up in social media. They're just little phrases and they'll say simply this, wise men still follow him. You know, I believe that's true because it's, it's those who are wise, those who see the prophecies, to see with eyes that see and hear with ears that hear. It's, it's those who know and perceive that Jesus is really it. You know, he is who he says he was. He's the son of God. He's the one who came and died for us, who still offers his gift of salvation to us. For those who are wise, they still follow him. And to me, when we consider the, the weight of, of what this story is teaching us, to me, there's really only two possible responses that we can have to the arrival of Christ. One is we can have the same kind of response as his own people. If you remember, the Bible says in the book of John, he came unto his own and his own received him not. The other response was the response of those who were not his people, who came from afar, from a long way away, to worship him, to honor him, and to rejoice with great joy. Those are our only two options. There really is no middle ground. And every Christmas, every single year, we are presented with this one simple choice. You either reject him like his own nation, or you receive him like those afar. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as did receive him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. This evening, church, what will be your choice? God bless you. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Good night.